Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, everybody. We uh, forgot to talk about one thing, so we're putting this at the beginning. So if you're listening, uh, you're hearing this, but I forgot to ask Kristen about the ghost stories that she is producing and collecting and telling as it relates to Parkville Nature Sanctuary. So give us a little plug for that because that's happening this fall, 2022. Yes. And tell our audience about that. So it'll be uh, for the first time and I don't even know how long it'll be free. Uh, luckily, I, I got a lot of input from folks. Um, so we use it as our fundraiser, a main fundraiser. So we are always charging admission for it. Um, but I, being the person I am, don't like to make anything easy for myself, decided, you know what, let's start a fundraiser. Let's make this truly a community event. Um, I want my goal was to make it free for people. All I had to do is raise $5,000 because that's how much it costs to put it on. Um, so met our fundraising goal just barely. And so ghost stories will be free for everyone this year. Hopefully we can do the same thing next year. If people feel like donating, they will be able to donate at ghost stories. Um, some context, ghost stories is a Halloween event, family friendly. It is this year on October 29th from six to 9 PM. We will have a magician we will have a band we have people telling interactive stories up at the girl scout shelter we have bentley guitar uh they man the i call it the s'mores pit but really it's a fire pit and um, some of the students they're remarkable they go out and they play music for people while you make your own s'mores as a family this year we are bringing back food and the spooky trail we didn't have that last year from due to covid so it's really exciting there will be hot dogs and veggie dogs and chips for food um the spooky trail i have never done it before so i'm really excited i'm kind of having <laughs> the volunteers who've always done it like guide me on how to set it up so that will be at the nature sanctuary like i said october 29th um, if anybody is bored on october 27th we do what's called pumpkin carving so the trails get decorated with jack-o-lanterns and this year we are going to be ambitious and we are doing 300 pumpkins uh, Mr. Lanny Frakes, he wow. is a farmer and he is at the Parkville Farmer's Market every Saturday and he donates 100 pumpkins to us every year, which is huge. That's like $300 worth of pumpkins. Um, so October 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the McKeon Stage in English Landing Park, we'll have live music and we are going to be trying to carve all 300 pumpkins. It's family friendly. It's so cute. And then we decorate the trails with all the jack-o'-lanterns that we carve. Wow. Uh, and people can take home jack-o'-lanterns after ghost stories. So if you're there at 6 and you leave at 630, cool. take your jack-o'-lantern home. Do you have to sign up for this? Nope. You just show up. We'll have okay. food. Um, Where, do you show up? where we're at right there at the so parking for area, pumpkin car pumpkin carving will be at an english landing park you just show up there you park okay. your car walk over and then ghost stories we have our small parking lot luckily the health department lets us use their parking every year and park university so if you have to park over at park university there will be a little tiki torch path you can walk over and since it'll be free this year we'll have ambassadors of sorts so they'll hand you your map um okay if you've got little kids who are like i am not going on that spooky trail then get to the nature sanctuary before 7 15 because that's when the spooky trail starts you will be hearing chainsaws and screams hopefully <laughs> if we can actually scare people um but i am so excited because this will be the first year we have a magician and he's amazing uh, he's a good friend of mine's father okay diggy the magician okay yeah or maybe Very goes by cool. david but i call him diggy all right sounds yeah. like a blast it will be I, that's what i would have called that as a kid that's a blast yeah all right, so. All right, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see you on October 27th right. and 9th. All right. We're going to we're going to get to the rest of the interview now. So take care. 
All right, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you're joining us. And we've got Kristen Bontrager yes. with us today. And she is overseeing the Parkville Nature Sanctuary, which is one of my favorite places to go for hikes, meditation, nature, all kinds of stuff. So thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I love it there as well. So anytime I meet someone who is obsessed with the sanctuary like I am, uh, I have to get to know them better every single time. That's how I wrangle in half the people who volunteer with us. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's have uh, you just share a little bit about your, you know, like where you grew up, where you know, where you're born, where you grew up. Just give us a little little background and then we're going to jump into uh, your love for nature, Parkville Nature Sanctuary and those kind of things. Magical. I can do that. A summary of my existence. So yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, born in Florida, lived there until I was about first grade. So middle of first grade, popped over to Kansas in February. So that was a shock for me. Um, so grew up in Lenexa, graduated high school, Shawnee Mission Northwest 2006 and went to college many years later in Topeka at Washburn University, but I lived in Lawrence, so I drove because I did not want to live in Topeka at the time. I loved Lawrence. And then after I graduated college in 2016, 10 years later after high school, I moved to Kansas City and I've been here since. Well, I guess I moved to Kansas City, Kansas now. So I went from Missouri to Kansas. I love Kansas City, Kansas. I plan on being here as long as I can until I can't take the winters anymore. And then my heart's telling me you got to go back to Florida. Mm. It's warm there. I don't like cold. Okay. Yeah. You, do you, what about the winters at the Parkville Nature Sanctuary? Oh, it's beautiful. It's so serene. I hate the cold, but you forget about it after a while because you are out there in the nature and the creeks are all still flowing. But instead of being, you know, like two feet wide, they're covered with ice and there's about six inches that you can right. see flowing. And just like that serenity, I forget about the cold. It just becomes cold at that point. It's not yeah. painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I hike it. There at the winter and through the, I love hiking in the winters. There's no ticks. You know? There's no poison <laughs> ivy. Right. Trees don't fall as much, so it's less work for me. Mm. Yeah. So, what did you major in in college? I majored in botany. Well, I guess it was biology, and then a focus on botany with um, conservation. I like to say undertones um, because I did my undergrad research in conservation. So, biologist and botanist here. Yeah. I got a minor in chemistry. I don't use it. Yeah. ever but i know a lot about chemistry <laughs> and then did you do did you do an advanced a master's degree i'm you? working on right okay. one right now actually in per, um oh my gosh management and so once i get through that and then i'm going to go back and it contributes to my um public administration so okay. i'll probably because i really like where i'm at working in government and i you know i like knowing it's not a, con uh, yeah, maybe a control thing. I'm like, I like to be in charge of the budget and what goes on on day-to-day -day activities. So mm. I think public administration will be what mm. I get my master's in. Yeah. Double master's sort of, I guess. Okay. Like when did you first start having a love affair with nature? Ooh, every day of my life. <laughs> uh, my father was a hunter. And my uncle always was out in the woods like, look at this big red oak or, you know, morale hunting. And so I grew up going on little hunting trips with my dad when I was little and my brother did too. So I, th I think I started then. I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't really put two and two together that, oh, I love nature. It was just mm -hmm. this place where I would always go and mm. nothing mattered. No one was asking me questions. I could just exist. And that's kind of where it all started. And then in college, I went initially, I wanted to do pre-med uh, and then I took a zoology class and dissected lots of stuff and decided, nah, uh -uh, I'm not doing pre-med. Um, and then I got into botany the next semester and I fell in love. It just, it's so weird. It just came naturally to me. There are people in that class who are like, I hate this. This is so hard. It's my only C. And I'm like, how? This is the easiest thing I've ever done in my whole life. So I think maybe it's just something that was always there with mm -hmm. me. It just kind of flows in my blood. I don't know but it, it's one of the only things that came naturally to me. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, you know, it seems to me like I'm an old guy, you know, so it seems to me like so many of our young people today, I mean, your age and younger even, 
are growing up without like literally experiencing nature you know like they grow up in a room with screens and yes. phones in their hands and, and social media yeah and it seems to me like I actually think there's probably statistics and you probably know these better than I do, but I think there's statistics that kids really aren't uh, in nature. Like, you know, like when I grew up, you know, we had we had one TV set and dad controlled it. And <laughs> pretty much when I went to play, I went outside. Yeah. You know, I was in the creeks and the woods and, yeah, you, that know, was my and you know, so but kids, a lot of kids today aren't having that experience, are they? No, and Do you know the stats on that. Is oh it, gosh, no, I don't. I'm just curious. Like, but I almost, I also isn't it true though. Like, don't you think a lot of? I could tell you my experience about yeah. one in twenty to thirty kids that I interact with. I put on a nature camp every summer. Okay, I and many of our amazing volunteers. Right. Um, and there's always one kid who knows about what a pawpaw is or what this butterfly is or what this is. Um, but they, once you get them engaged, like let's go look for a monarch caterpillar. Mm. They're excited, but it is so interesting that there, it just doesn't come naturally or they're less interested in it than I was at is that age. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes wonder if there's a caution to it from parents, because as we grow in population, there's more, strangers all around and you know kids can't go out on their own as much anymore mm -hmm. we had free reign to do anything we wanted in our neighborhood we could go into the creeks climb trees and so i do see a lot of parents and this is no judgment this is just me seeing things they're like mm -hmm. don't climb that tree or stay close to me and i think it's a caution thing maybe more for interesting my generation that's raising kids right maybe i don't know yeah like we didn't like my dad, you know, we had a truck and you'd throw the kids in the back of the truck, no seat belts, you know? Yep, same with us, it was so fun. I'm like, woohoo! So I, I do think that there's, people are more safety conscious about everything, it seems like, oh, yeah. you know, in, in our culture today. But yeah, and, and what, like, so you're working with kids, exposing them to nature, and what are the benefits of that? For well, people. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. Um, so I can give you, I'm, a, I'm an example person. It usually takes me a while to process questions. Mm -hmm. um, but this year for Nature Camp, we focused on soil health because that's something that nobody thinks about. And I got an, <clears throat> excuse me, an email from a parent. So one of the last things we did, our activities was to plant a bean because beans grow really quick. And we put it in, we made the soil because we learned about all the aspects of soil and we made it. And she sent me an email with a picture of her kid's little lima bean that had grown two feet up. And I'm like, it's so exciting because they get so excited and it gets the parents engaged. And it's something that parents can do with their children outside and, I don't know. I think one of the benefits is just being able to bond with your family over something that like improving our natural world. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is power. So knowing what's around you, knowing that is a poisonous or venomous snake versus that's a little tiny ring neck snake and we can touch it if we want to. You know, I, I think hands on learning is crucial. Mm -hmm. And one of the only ways that I as a non-traditional learner actually paid attention to things so getting connected with the, th the world around you by feeling it and existing in it. Mm. Um, and again, knowledge is power. If you know what poison ivy is, you're probably not gonna go tromping through a field of poison ivy. Yeah, although I got poison ivy so many times as a kid because I didn't like to take baths. And so oh, when yeah. I'd go out in nature, get it on my clothes, and then, and then I'd always end up with these awful cases of it because, you know, yeah. As an adult, though, now, when I crash on my mountain bike and fall into a poison <laughs> ivy patch, you know, immediately get home, take the shower, get all the clothes in the in the washer, and, and I usually do okay. Oh, know, yeah. Don't get it too bad, but I'm highly allergic to this. I mean, when I was a kid, I would get it so bad, my eyes would be closed shut. Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I'd get it everywhere. I didn't get it until I, I was 31. Oh, wow. And I've only had it the one time. And I'm paranoid of it now, so I carry Technu with me, which is like a granular scrub. Oh. So, and any of my volunteers, yeah. if I'm like, 
Dan, I see you. I see you over there. You're yeah. close to that poison ivy. Rub this on your legs right now. And he's like, "What are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you don't want this. Trust me." And being deathly allergic to bees, working outside all the time—that's another benefit—is knowing, you know, knowledge you're allergic is power. to bees and wasps. Yeah, I go into anaphylactic oh, shock, but oh, I've never. Serious? Yeah. Whoa. So we all, anyone who have you ever been stung? Yeah, a couple times. Not at the sanctuary. Um, once in Lawrence when I was 19 and I was barefoot walking around a park, I stepped on one and that's when I found out ah. really gross because it stung my big toe until so my big toe was so swollen that my peritoneal just like popped off. Oh, wow. And that's when we learned that every time if you're allergic to bees, uh, every time you get stung, it gets worse and worse. So. I trained um, the assistant director, Wayne, how to use an EpiPen just mm. in case. So we keep EpiPens in the truck, in the sheds. Wow. But, yeah. So interesting. I've been stung many times through the years, but don't, you know, I get a big whelp, but mm -hmm. I get a big whelp from a mosquito bite. Yeah, me like too. Or an ant. Way up huge, you like know, like ridiculous, but. Yeah. There's like this tiny little ant. I'm like, oops, go on, get off of me. So I'm like trying to brush him off without injuring it. And it bites me and there's like a huge welt on me. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I just interviewed Sammy Aaron, who is a big nature advocate and an environmental advocate and activist. And, um, you know, the science behind people connecting with nature and learning how to connect with nature is like almost everything that ails you it's good for mm -hmm. i mean from from anxiety to grief processing to uh you know like slowing your monkey brain down to i mean you just like so there's all these like mental health benefits from connecting deeply with nature but then also like if you do it like like you're talking about with family and and friends and then you know the uh, yeah, I mean, like there's there's really not a, a downside to it, I guess, unless you get stung or something and you're, you go anaphylactic. That's what something. they make EpiPens <laughs> and Benadryl for. So. Uh, yeah. So when you studied botany, mm -hmm. what, what, uh, give, give people, uh, like, what, what world do you dive into when you, when you study botany when you become a botanist? Well, these days, genetics. Uh, a lot. So t classically botanists uh, like Carl Linnaeus um, were botanists because they did taxonomy. So they classified these plants based on their characteristics. So like the mustard plant, brassicas have four petals, you know, uh, traditionally they used to be called cruciferaceae because they were four. Um, so when geneticists got involved, love them or hate them, <clears throat> uh, they started reclassifying things based on their genetic makeup. So it's there's a lot of that involved in botany and then um, looking at things under microscopes and learning how plants transport water and nutrients to their leaves, to their roots, the hormones that are involved. There's also a lot of biochemistry. So it's surprising how much biochemistry and genetics is in botany, but you know, how are you gonna learn these pathways that, photosynthetic pathways without knowing the basic biology and biochemistry of it because every single enzyme that interacts with something else like a molecule from water and splits it apart it does something uh, and so we as scientists like to know everything about everything and um, that turns into basically chemistry and biochemistry is the foundation of everything and genetics even if I hate it is the basis of everything yeah. i'm i'm a classic taxonomist i'm like no this species belongs in this family not that family i can't handle it and then i'm like no you have to accept the change but i hate it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that that's so interesting the uh did you ever get into the the story of chris mccandless the, yeah. the wild story when i was in 10th grade we had to read that book yeah and i was like i will never go backpacking in alaska ever uh, <laughs> no thank you but you know the thing was he he misidentified the potato yeah yeah which my friend has growing in her yard it's so funny i'm like tear it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah so she's she's got a three of almost four year old so i'm like don't let isla anywhere near that right 
but yeah i mean that was such a i love that story because i loved his his love for nature and his desire to kind of bail out on you know the you know the capitalistic economy and right get, get outside of you know corporate like escapism america you know mm -hmm. retreat into nature kind of a deal so I've, I've always had that like i've you know i've always been a backpacker and i love the outdoors and rock climbing mountain biking and all that even though i've i've never like been a hermit i've never been like lived on walden pond or anything like that but <laughs> i will not i know what i don't know and that's a lot and i also know that i am not a survivalist yeah i will tent camp but i'm still sleeping on my air mattress mm -hmm. you know uh but that's not you know that's not for everybody yeah. so i have the basic skills i can start a fire without a light or a fire source but mm -hmm. i don't want to right <laughs> so i think i think that is a very important <clears throat> uh, aspect of that is it a novel a book either way story the into, into the, the wild, wild. Mm -hmm. yeah john krakow wrote yeah wrote he first wrote a little article for outside magazine mm -hmm. that like blew up and went viral and this was back in the night you know like early 90s when stuff really wasn't didn't go viral that much you know i mean but the, it, the story was like really circulated then he turned it into a book and then eventually Sean Penn got the rights That's to right. turn it into a movie. I forgot they made it into it a movie. It took him forever to get it into a movie. And Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam oh, yeah. did, the, did the whole soundtrack really? for that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. I've obviously never seen the movie. Yeah. But I think it's important to know, though, like this is not for you can't just go out in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Mother Nature. Yeah, I mean, we've seen even in documentaries, Mother Nature is brutal. She does what she's got to do she does mm -hmm. so what what so what brought you to parkville nature sanctuary let's dive into okay. like the work that you do around parkville nature sanctuary a lot of my listeners are kansas city based although we have people all, all around but a lot of them are kansas city based so i would say most of the people that are listening know parkville nature sanctuary and uh tell us about your work with with that let's dive into that okay well we'll start from step one uh pre-job <laughs> um so i i sit on a board a uh environmental board called heartland conservation alliance and i've been on that board since 2018 i think maybe 2019 no 2018 and uh the, i was kind of trying to find my way in the world of what i wanted to do for a job i still didn't know because you know i'm like conservation background i want to do botany i like working with people um, I like policy, and so I've always been involved in politics as well. Um, and I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I started volunteering with a lot of different folks, like Bridging the Gap. I volunteer with the HCA as well. Um, HCA is Heartland Conservation Alliance, so from here on out, it'll be HCA. Okay. And stuff like that, and then I, my current partner what, and I. What, what is Bridging the Gap? There are a nonprofit in Kansas City and they do stuff like Heartland Tree Alliance, um, Green Stewards. So they do what's called BMP, Best Management Practices. And all along like Crossroads area and down Troost, you'll see these little bump outs on the road with little native plants, uh, stormwater control. So that's just one of the things they do. Okay. They have a lot a whole lot of programs that they run. Bridging the gap. Mm -hmm. okay. And they run my favorite program, Casey Wildlands, where they, so you can Google it, you can look online, you can learn where you can go hike a wildland. So it's mostly preserved natural areas. Uh, it's really beautiful. They do Give seed collection. Couple. Where can you go hike? Give us a few of those examples. Um, Camp Branch Glade is one. That's in conjunction with Johnson County Parks and Rec, which was my first uh, real job out of college. Woohoo! And, Swope Park, they, I, well, I don't know if Bridging the Gap manages Swope Park, but it's a really beautiful hike and I would recommend it. And which one? Cause I, I ride my mountain bike in there and the, the bike trails. The, yeah. The earth riders, there's crews that sort of manage all those trails and keep them in shape and all that. Like that are mountain bike people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. As you put, so you probably it's like Smithville, Tim King. Um, I can, I can start name Neil. Right. Neil Shower. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there's guys Ben Bolin. I don't know if you know any of these names or not. These are guys that have worked and managed 
trails all over Kansas City for for years. Rich Bowman. I, that name sounds yeah, so familiar. Right. And then some of the guys with UTC. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so you know, I'm like volunteering out there and doing stuff like that. And Alex George wetlands now okay. is what it might be called. We change names every now and then with certain things. So just, you know, finding my way volunteer wise, I worked, uh, as a, um, temporary field technician or no, it was a natural resource technician, excuse me for Johnson County parks and rec. Uh, just for a short while. It was amazing. I learned so much from uh, the field biologist there. His name is Matt Garrett. He's absolutely brilliant and knows, I mean, he's probably doesn't think, he's very humble, mm. um, but he taught me an insane amount and I just retain everything he said to me. I'm like, store away in my brain forever, keep it there. And so he works with the crew in Casey Wildlands a lot to do seed collection and they preserve you know, they collect these seeds so that the genotype stays there. So if it has been growing in Johnson County for hundreds of years, it will stay in Johnson County for hundreds of years. It's a really amazing thing that mm. they all do. Um, and then, you know, so my, I met my current partner, we met teaching a class about invasive honeysuckle removal. It was kind of a adorable, beautiful thing. Uh, and then we- By the way, my, my friends who work the trails for mountain bike stuff, the, the honeysuckle is just a monster. My kind of people. Oh God! Send them my way because we've got so much work to do in the nature sanctuary. They've cut it out over. I mean, like just the friends that I know, like have spent you know days and hours and hours cutting out honeysuckle at like Wanda County Lake oh, uh, trails, yeah. uh, Smithville trails, um, Swope Park. Uh, those are some of the places I ride quite often. And then, so you know the Bridal Trail at Waco Lake. Yeah, I love that trail. Yeah, and then. Uh, they also, you know, there's a Hodge Park trail up here in the Northland. They cut out stuff there, uh, Stocksdale. Uh, yeah, those are places that I ride quite often. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Every honeysuckle Yeah, they killed. hate honeysuckle. Good, I know, I, I noticed that. Uh, and I used to always think it was so cool when I was a kid, you know, cause you yeah. the little flowers and you'd smell it. And That's so funny. I'm yeah. working on a collaboration with two of my best friends who are beautiful artists, to get the word out. I don't know what we're going to do with this, but I, I'm kind of starting it as um, an invasive species piece. So it's called Beautiful But Bad and doing introductions to so like honeysuckle and the berries and it's beautiful and it smells great and autumn olive. It smells so amazing, but we hate it. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Yeah. T t let's, I, I mean, I'm just, I could talk about these kind of things for hours, but like wh why are invasive species of plants a problem and why is it so important to preserve our native plants to the area just give a basic 101 on that oh happily so invasives are species of plants that were brought over here whether it be for ornamental value or like my arch nemesis, I don't know his name, but he brought over every species that Shakespeare ever wrote about. So that's how we got the starling introduced here. And uh, that's an invasive, an invasive, invasive bird. bird. Yes. And so the right. reason we don't like them is because um, native plants have co-evolved a natural way to do checks and balances. So be that insects that feed off their leaves. So like the pawpaw. Uh, a tree, the zebra striped swallowtail will feed off of the leaves. You know, it kind of keeps it in check. We've got natural predators with all of our native plants. So, you know, they grow together. They don't, they, they grow next to each other and with each other. They don't outcompete each other. But invasive species will come in and they will take over an entire area, depleting the food source for our natural bird, our native birds and insects and whatnot, because things like honeysuckle provide zero food source through their leaves and their berries for example uh, birds will eat them a lot but studies have shown that it actually can cause heart disease in birds similar to what humans get because their berries are not meant for the bird species that live here they are meant for japanese birds and um, southeastern asian birds and they need that higher sugar content whereas our birds need more protein so it gets in there and it causes them heart disease which is wow. wild to me yeah so crazy Right. And so it's a, a thing of it's a competition thing. So it's like invasive species, like you can have fish that mm -hmm. are invasive, birds, plants. Mm -hmm. 
animals even oh probably. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like yeah so uh yeah. like the jumping worm the little earthworm actually i think most earthworms that are in north america are invasive but not as problematic as the like hammerhead worm and mm. but my specialty is plants so i'm not okay. going to speak on yeah, the yeah. zoology i mean i will a little bit yeah. But yeah, so it's it's more of a thing of they've got competitive advantages. So I'm, I use honeysuckle as my example. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first things that greens up in the spring, which mm-hmm. means it takes in all the sunlight, which means that nothing underneath gets sunlight. So our native sedges, our native little wild woodland wildflowers don't get the sunlight, so they don't get as much energy. And so these are really busy growing and taking up space. Um, and they're also one of the last things to stay green. So in the fall, same thing, they keep the sunlight and nothing else can get it. And they also have been shown to leach out chemicals of their roots, which is harmful for other plants. So it can kill off its competitors rather than grow with them. And like I said about the berries, uh, it's a prolific spreader and there's nothing in the natural world that in, in our area specifically that can keep it from growing so aggressively. So that's why we focus on it um, to try and eradicate it, which will never happen. But we can also we can control it, though, you know, keep it at bay when all that good good stuff of cutting it down and hoping it doesn't flower because flowers lead to the berries which means birds eat them and spread them like crazy Mm -hmm. so i like to do a remove and replace so we remove the honeysuckle and we'll replace it with a spice bush or a chokeberry something that's beneficial to the wildlife Mm. yeah so interesting so what kind of programs are you overseeing for parkville nature sanctuary well i'm still getting on that program development right now our programming is um, mostly event focused but we do a lot of volunteer work days Um, anytime someone emails me or calls me just to be like hey i want to do volunteer i need to do service hours i'm like great have you ever removed honeysuckle before (laughs) so i get people trained in that Um, i like to provide an educational outlet for folks as well because some people are just bored and want to do something and want to connect and you know, I get, I've met a couple people, a handful of people who have been going through a divorce or going through a huge life change. And like, I don't know what to do with my time. I'm like, well, let me fill up all your time. Mm-hmm. So we get to working together, mulching trails, doing all that good stuff. Um, it's less for, like, I don't have a schedule for volunteer work days right now, just because everything is so, something might happen and it's like, oh, this is my immediate priority now. Or, oh, now this, I have to get working on some project that I've been putting off for mm-hmm. three weeks now. Um, but we pr- you can pretty much count on us doing volunteer work every week. I recently had um, Stephen Daniels from the River Park Church come and have a mission trip with the folks out of Arkansas. He brought 80 volunteers. 80 sweet and i had one of our volunteers come out and we got all of the gardens the garden beds their memorial gardens we got those all weeded their native gardens mulched they finished the trails i had some kids doing honeysuckle removal because they're like oh i can use a saw heck yeah so those are cool yeah um what when you take when you take kids into the the sanctuary what what do you find is what what helps kids come alive is it is it you do like a one hour program with kids like when you take you you were mentioning that you took children oh for nature camp yeah nature camp um i treat them like humans i think that's why they like you know i talk to them Mm -hmm. i'm not like now guys we gotta do it's more like at kind of feel it out figure out what their interests are so nature camp is a three-day day camp Mm-hmm. Um, in the very beginning, I make sure everyone feels comfortable. Uh, we talk about what our interests are in the summer. So it, it's more of just a chance for, in the beginning, figure out what the kids' interests are and work with them that way. So one kid might be loving to run around wild and crazy. So we separate that person from the kids who want to sit there and draw. And we have that kid do these activities Mm -hmm. while these kids are doing those activities, you know, things that just work with kids. And I have the ability to do that because I usually have amazing volunteers. So 
one kid wants to play Red Rover while another kid wants to draw pictures of caterpillars. We're like, okay, we can make that work. We'll split into groups. Um, so I think flexibility with structure is a huge part of that. Um, teaching kids things they don't know about nature, something they would never see, like parasitic wasps. And they're like, eh, that's gross. I'm like, yes, I know. Uh, and again, hands-on. So I'm that's like- so cool. Um, so when you 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 do like I'm I'm wanting to connect with you maybe on a Sunday night and bring some of my groups out there and do a meander. Is that is it where we did is that a word that you used with me? I can't remember. Instead of a hike. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would love to do that. And so that you go slow enough to where we're identifying is that something you do? Always. Okay. Almost always. Yeah. I always recommend. I'm like, if you are like we're not just doing speed walking through the woods kind of thing. No, but no we're, we're, we slow the pace down to where we can, okay. Identify like, like how, how does that, how do you work that? Like if you take a group on a meander. Uh, well, I recently did this with the department of conservation and they put it on. I was just there and helping that, not helping assisting leading with them. And um, I just, I don't know. I, I just talk about the plants that I see, the interactions that the plants have with each other, mm -hmm. the insects that we might see. There's always something and it's always beautiful. Or like, this is the spot where the ducks regularly nest. Or this is the spot that I saw a Carolina wren once. Or listen to, do you hear that? That's this kind of bird. Um, we get up close and personal with milkweed. And I really like to talk about how while yes it's a good nectar source it's also really detrimental to some pollinators because the way the flower is shaped a lot of critters their legs get like trapped in it and so these things will be flying off like with one less leg because of the shape and the anatomy of the milkweed flower but it's still vital to you know monarch caterpillars and other certain thing other certain mm -hmm. pollinators so then that also leads into the conversation of plant your milkweed with other nectar sources like mm -hmm. coneflower um i talk about management and natural resource so we walk through the prairie and talk about the prairie burn um it's it's kind of like a natural history a walk through the past two I and like a half that. years of my management which is so this little area how many acres is Parkville Nature Sanctuary. 116. And we've got a little little one uh, along Rush Creek called Sullivan Nature Sanctuary. And that's eight acres. Okay. Um, but where's, where's that at? Right along Rush Creek. So uh, off of Main Street, right before you get into Platte Landing Park, there's that one-way bridge. Um, it's just tucked away okay. over there. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. There's a lookout. There's always so many turtles over there. But nature sanctuary you're, you're talking about down in the actual park mm -hmm. area so there's the big nature sanctuary mm -hmm. the nature sanctuary right. which is 116 acres right. and then you meander down about mm, i don't know a little less than a mile just follow the creek out of there kind of yeah just follow you know take the same road that got you there mm -hmm. and if you're going to Platte landing park just stop right before the bridge yeah so, yeah and that's where okay. it's at. Most people miss it because it's not super showy. Right. Uh, we do, so I mean, city ordinance is like no dogs, but it also kind of leans on to what Wayne and I decide of the rules. So we do let people bring their dogs into Sullivan. It's 0.2 miles of trails. There's It's a twin trail, so north trail, south trail. So total it's 0.4 miles. It's really small, but almost no one ever goes there. So it's right. so quiet. And then there's a water source and a lookout and the lookout's really cute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's interesting. I, you know, I went to Graydon Elementary School, and my parents lived in a house off of Blair Road for forty nine years. They just sold it and moved like a year and a half ago. Wow. So I used to walk to downtown Parkville when I was a kid before I could drive. Go to McKeon's, which was is where the Stone Canyon Pizza Place is now, and that was a like an ice cream parlor, soda mm -hmm. shop, played pinball. And then uh, that where Parkville Nature Sanctuary is, I used to hike up in there all the time and do, like I, I camped out out there in the wintertime. Like I've, I'd, we'd camp out 
at Risk Lake. We had it's back when nobody lived around Risk Lake, and we knew the person who had a key to the gate. <laughs> um, you know, so we it's like that whole area from Risk Lake all the way into Parkville Nature Sanctuary is areas that I've literally since I was a kid stomping out in, camped in, you know, fished just all kinds of stuff. I hear so many stories like that too, which is why I like to listen to people or mm -hmm. old school volunteers are like, we've been volunteering here for 20 years. I'm like, okay, well, what do you like about that? You yeah. know, what, what changes that I've made do you resonate with? Um, because it, like when I had my interview, they were asking me why I wanted the job. And I was very honest in saying that I believe that the nature sanctuary has a heart and a brain of its own. I mean, it's nature, but still it's got its own heart and brain. And so we just have to kind of listen to it, listen to what it's saying. And there is such an emotional connection. It's part of people's identities. And so to take that away from people would just be inhumane. And so I do, if I change something, it's very gradual. It's talking to folks and trying not to make anything too different because that's one of the things that we have left that's truly natural. Yeah. So if you think about that area, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to ask the question very well, but like as an ecosystem, that's like, if you think of Parkville nature sanctuary as an, as an ecosystem, and then you compare that ecosystem to other ecosystems outside of Kansas city and in Kansas or Missouri, what, what's you, what maybe is unique or, or, or special about that ecosystem at Parkville Nature Sanctuary, or is there something unique? Or I think the streams really bring a lot to the Nature Sanctuary. We've got several streams. Um, and that's one thing. I mean, streams provide life to everything off of rivers into everywhere. It's a water are there, source. Are any of those spring fed or are they? Yes. Um, then there's also the main waterfall, which is rain tall or rain dependent and um, through Risk Lake. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> even if they are man-made, they still provide crucial life source to the wildlife. Um, that's water is everything in the end and humanity's fight 400 years from now, it's going to be over water. Mm. Our wars will be over water. That mm -hmm. is what I truly believe. I mean, it's the source of all life, mm -hmm. you know, like biological life speaking that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's streams for me um, that really just brings into this beauty. I also think it's a connectivity with humans um, and it is an ecosystem as a whole. And we are part of that ecosystem and people truly care about the nature sanctuary. Um, and that shows in the fact that we are able to get people to come in and volunteer um, we go from woodland to prairie to woodland to playground and it's all maintainable. Um, so right in within that 116 acres, you've got a, a woodland ecosystem, mm -hmm. prairie ecosystem. We do. So two different yeah. ecosystems. And sort and of each a of those Savannah, ecosystems yeah. have their own species of plants, mm -hmm. bugs, mm -hmm. animals, I guess. Yeah, provides habitat for different varieties. So we, you look at it as a whole, say, you know, just a small example, say you're looking at the whole entire thing. You're like, oh, there's 10 species of birds that live here. Well, then you break it down even smaller and you get that biodiversity from the different habitats. Like, oh, six species live in the woodland where four species live in the prairie. Obviously it's astronomically larger than that, mm -hmm. but just, you know, to break it down that way. So we might have biodiversity of, xyz number but that comes from our multiple different habitats that mm -hmm. we have so what are some of your favorite um visit animal visit even though you're a botanist i should ask for about ask about plants but what are some of your favorite special visitors and guests to the parkville nature sanctuary other than humans i like the snakes um well and the deer they it, it's so funny because uh deer will get to know your voice and today I ran into our little young family. There's four of them and they, I, I interact with them all the time because I always talk to them. I'm never silent. I'm like, hey, I'm here. It's me. Hey, guys. And so they all looked at me and they're like, oh, it's just her. And so they just kept walking on. But then I'll see them, you know, like I'll be hiking on the trails behind someone and everyone like stops and the deer stop and stare at them and they just run off. But they'll eat in front of me. They 
just stand there. Like a little yearling came up to me last year and I was so close to penning it, but I'm like, no, Kristen, don't do it. Don't do it. It's against the rules of morality. Don't pet the wildlife. So I'm sitting there, but I could have pet this little guy. Um, Wow. <laughs> Excuse me. The turkey babies, they're so cute and they're so goofy. I love mm -hmm. them. And the snakes, though, are very cool. This is my first time I've ever seen a copperhead in person. And, you know, it's like, oh, that's like so scary. recently? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I was looking, I was up on Whitetail and I was looking at this, uh, a huge red oak had fallen last year. And so Wayne and I went and removed it. We spent so much time. I was like, Wayne, get a picture of me by the roots because they were like mm -hmm. six feet tall. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, look at our work we did. Just so happy. And I looked at one of the stumps and I'm like, oh, that's a copperhead. Mm -hmm. So it was very I, I, exciting. I ran across a copperhead last year. I'd never uh, seen one. There. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was up at Smithfield Trail mountain biking and I I saw these three kids like standing in a circle and they were standing around a copperhead and they were oh. little kids. There's no parents around. And I was like, hey guys, uh that's a poisonous snake, you know, and like they they didn't have a clue, you know, and they they were literally had it it was coiled mad at him and there's three little kids like <laughs> like literally in a circle around a copperhead i like, holy crap that's horrifying yeah yeah but uh how about tell me your love for fungi oh i could go on for tell me about fungi uh, and, and the, the thing that got me i just recently like a couple of years ago read this book called the secret life of trees by a oh, I love german mm -hmm. arborist yes. i forgot his name Yes. But I I had always known that aspen trees, I love the Rocky Mountains, mm -hmm. I love aspens, and I've always known that like an aspen forest has basically one root system, mm -hmm. I guess is the way people talk about it. And so it's kind of like a you know, this whole community of living organisms. But when I read this Secret Life of Trees, it talked about how all forests are inter have communication systems through the fungus, which this I think somebody called it the worldwide web, world world wood web yeah. instead of the world wide web. Yeah. Wood web. But tell me about your love for fungi. It goes on infinitely <laughs> as fungi does. What um, is fungi? Is it a plant or is it an animal? Neither. Neither. It's its own little guy. <laughs> it's a fungi. Oh, that was terrible. Um, my partner who has a 14 year old would be very proud of that semi dad joke there. So uh, I love it. I, I truly believe it's the one thing on this planet that turns death into life. You'll see it decomposing animals. It does not discriminate. It will decompose all things. You can actually even use it on oil spills. Um, and eventually the fungi will, you know, set out spores. It eats the oil. And then eventually that brings, you know, brings decomposition. It brings little tiny critters. Um, this brings birds around birds bring seeds and it can become its own little weird tiny habitat all because you're cleaning up an oil spill with fungi um, it is literally connected to everything so you look you won't i won't i never have but i have seen the data of what connects tree roots to tree roots and they there's like arbuscular mycorrhizae and all types of fungi and it'll weave there's some that'll literally weave in between cell walls and live within a plant so this is underground and inside of plants okay so it'll be like okay here's my one big tree and it's got one little all the way throughout the tree down under the roots into the roots out into its own world now so it lives inside and outside of the plant and it just like in the fungus mm -hmm. the fungi is literally networked all around the yes. root system yes absolutely and then extending beyond and yeah we don't even know where it goes it's fascinating we could have fungus that connects us to freaking japan for all i know <laughs> you know like i would not be surprised i think that more people who study the ocean should be looking for a ocean fungi hmm. i bet it's out there i read that the largest living organism in the world is as a field of fungi up in Oregon somewhere like it's cool. massively like hundreds of miles of acres or you know square miles I don't I don't you know. I want to touch it that sounds awesome so <laughs> I'm like whoo and like these these fungi literally network 
trees to each other. Mm-hmm. They can communicate. How, do the, how does that work? I think do, of it as like a little telephone wire that also sends signals. And so what I think is that, um, and it's, there's been studies on sagebrush of how it communicates to other species within its own species. Uh, but we've seen studies on how certain trees and say an oak tree will communicate with a hickory tree. So it has no reason to need to be communicating to these things outside of its family, uh, a kinship, if you will, but fungi allows it to. So say someone's in there, say a bug, let's talk about bugs, is eating all the leaves and this tree is like, oh no, oh no. So in the tree itself, it sends up its own hormones to make that leaf taste gross. But now with the fungi attaching roots from this oak tree to this hickory tree, it can tell the hickory tree, hey man, watch out. This guy's been chewing on leaves. We did this into our leaves, so you might want to do the same thing. And that's then, bizarre. It is so bizarre, but it's so cool. So I've heard like, so like you've got these chemical, uh, you know, like communication mm-hmm. systems. It's fungi sense. Like if there's bugs attacking, mm-hmm. then they alert the whole forest yeah. to the bugs. Yeah. Or if there's, if there's a drought mm-hmm. and, one, and trees are suffering, it may communicate and like Hold your and water. water systems are sometimes even resource, re, re-resourced to trees that need it more mm-hmm. is that true is that any- that is true too and also the fungi if it gets something from the tree it usually gives something back so if it's you know uh, i have too much sugar i won't give it to the tree uh stuff like that is also so true. nutrients are reallocated mm-hmm. through a communication system that's conducted by the fungi yeah and instead of a voice they use I say hormones, but it's stuff like um, oxen and ethylene and their chemical makeup mm-hmm. is fascinating to me. Um, Tuberellic acid, all these things that'll like tell the tree to build new growth is also mm-hmm. the way that they communicate with each other. So so, the, so trees can put off toxins through the leaves based on something that's attacking them. Yeah, so it's a defense system. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, if it's something that's not supposed to be there, because a lot of insects have what's called elicitors in their insect saliva, and it'll be something that goes into the tree. There, you know, like they chomp on the leaf, and then it goes into the tree to be like. That's how the tree identifies what insect it is for the most part. So it's a, mm. I wouldn't say it's a genetic specific thing because I'm not sure if it is, but I think it is. Um, So these elicitors get inside the tree and it tells the tree, hey, so-and-so's here, so-and-so's bad. So we need to send something that tastes bitter. So so so-and-so goes away. So fascinating. So you walk into a forest and that forest is alive. It communicates with each other. Mm -hmm. The trees communicate with each other. The fungus runs a communication system amongst Mm -hmm. all these different trees and even different species of trees communicate with different species of trees. Plants get involved in that as well. Mm-hmm. They sure do. And wow, it's crazy. It is. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I love it. There's all there's an interaction with everything. So tell us about the pawpaw. I'm, I'm oh, gonna, yeah. Like I love that. the pawpaw. So, you know, I just recently, like I grew up around here and mm-hmm. I've eaten most of the things that you can eat mm-hmm. out of the wild around here, you know, but I had never had had eaten anything from a pawpaw. Oh, well. And somebody made, I just had a couple years ago, uh, a gal had made this, I don't know what, what you would call it, but it was really a sweet treat kind of thing. Mm. It was really good. I, uh, last year I started hosting a pawpaw harvesting hike. So I invite ah. anyone who wants to join me on that. Is around it in the fall? Yeah, September, October. Okay. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where I'll, find out the people who want to do it, let them know, hey, it could happen next week, it could happen the week after, I just have to make sure I know when the pawpaws are ripe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do it and they're these weird little fruits, when they're small, they look like peanuts. Um, and they can grow in single clusters, they can grow in clusters of four. Um, so the pawpaw tree, big leaves, kind of looks like a hickory leaf sometimes. Some people call them banana yeah, trees. Yeah, 
I but don't. It's not really a banana. Yeah, tree, they're though. like it's a Missouri banana. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. the yeah. thing to me is, I think they taste like a um, coconutty mango custard and there's no pretty way to eat it you just kind of have to dive in like it's a brain if you're a zombie i guess i don't know that's my this person had made some kind of a like a pop-up bread type i've done thing. that before okay i had more than i could okay pos- and they don't they're not shelf stable so it's not like we can sell them to a grocery store mm-hmm. and the seeds are so big so it's impractical in the terms mm-hmm. of feeding everyone mm-hmm. or bringing it to a grocery store. Cause really you've got about three days maximum after you harvest them. Uh, and the seed, it, they're, they're messy. So we take a sieve and we'll like smash them around and get the pulp if we don't just eat them all. Um, there's only so many you can eat though after a while. Don't eat the skin. It can cause inflammation in your lips and tongue. Um, <laughs> another woohoo papas. Um, but they taste amazing and yeah they don't i was i was impressed i and it's like so weird like because you know literally most things that that are edible mm-hmm. around here that i've i've at least tried it yeah <laughs> i made ice cream out of it two years ago it was delicious oh we did sweet. out of persimmons as well oh yeah mm-hmm. that works persimmons are scary if you've ever bitten into one that's not fully ripe mm. because it's the only way i can describe it is like eating aspirin bitter yeah Yeah, super bitter yeah cool what 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 else is maybe one of your favorite things that people could discover in parkville nature sanctuary Ooh, everything (laughs) Uh, i'm a prairie person so i'm naturally drawn to the prairies and we recently have been working on eradicating the invasive johnson grass and lespedeza so personally for me i look and i'm like look at all that dead invasive species um but beyond that i think anything that any of the edibles is always really cool like gooseberries and i I call it like a fruit salad hike so sometimes we'll go and we'll get wild blackberries and gooseberries um you know spring onions but there's so much history in the nature sanctuary there There are there's always mulberries yeah Yeah. if you can fight the birds for Mm them um you got any black probably got black walnuts in there uh yeah plenty they dented my car plenty of times i don't (laughs) even care at this point i'm gonna learn how to make dye out of them so we can teach kiddos next year for nature camp different ways to do dye Uh um but some more interesting things that i I think the history is really fascinating to me uh like the old root cellar that's there right Mm -hmm. across from the prairie was used from park university when that whole area was like 11 acres of bottomland farm um, the fact that the old Kate Trail is actually named after a donkey is really cool. Uh, she was she built basically the entire trail system and something that nobody will ever see, but is a really, really cool thing is like all the partnerships, all the organizations that get involved with the nature sanctuary. So, you know, Heartland Conservation Alliance, Heartland Tree Alliance, Park University, um, you know, Main Street Parkville Association, like all of these people uh, have something to do with nature sanctuary and it's not like they get anything monetary back from it but they want to work like see what they can do to work with us or what opportunities there are volunteer wise all these church groups that come out it's one of the most beautiful things about the sanctuary that's not nature related is how much people want to be there and want to do work out there that's so cool it is so cool it's amazing and well thanks for your work out there i love it how, tell people how they can connect and get involved. Like, is there a website to go to? Yeah. You know, if they want to volunteer, is the website have all the programs? If they want to volunteer, do you have a, like a volunteer sign up thing? I'm working on that. So no, what we've been doing is just having people email me to get involved. I am trying to get some volunteer software in place, so it'll be a lot easier for everyone, including myself. But until then, um, and I will happily give you my email so we can send it out to folks. But please do email me, call City Hall. Um, and then the website, Parkville, oh gosh, parkvillemo.gov, I think. Google it. <laughs> if you just, uh, what happens if you just Google Parkville Nature Sanctuary? You'll find us. Yeah, at the okay. Parkville website. And then we'll so get you, there. you get to the Parkville website and then it's community, little tab on top on the right hand side. And then you'll scroll down on community. It's Nature Sanctuary. And my email's all over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will leave. Where do you my- get a t shirt like that? email Kristen. <laughs> 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 I had him for nature camp as well. Okay. So uh, 
this is a youth medium so i have only youth sizes left but uh, i am going to be ordering crud. more adult i know well Not i'll go big. story t-shirts too and they'll be cute i've got someone working on a little design so i don't know if we'll have a little witch hat on the owl yeah. or if we'll have a little pumpkin maybe we'll have both i don't know it's gonna be super cute uh, but i do encourage how many kinds of owls do you have in mate parkville nature sanctuary i have only heard one it's a barred owl yes okay and it doesn't mean that's all that's there right uh, we have bats as well which kind uh the cute little brown kind i don't know okay <laughs> how many different kinds of woodpeckers are in parkville nature sanctuary i've seen four so what do you got a downy woodpecker downy wood uh blah, 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 peleated i've peleated, seen redheaded, redheaded yellow belly sap suckers redheaded. which sounds like an insult but it is not yeah. um oh and northern flickers we've got northern flickers we had a little okay. family of them by the scout shelter sweet yeah they're screaming at me what's your most unique bird visitor that that you've ever had that you're aware of I heard that there was a bird recently that the Audubon Society was really interested in. And for the life of me now, I cannot remember what its name was. And I, it was like the, last week they were there chasing was it. One year, you were, you're, you're too young, but maybe not even, maybe a decade ago, some snowy owls came this cool. far south. That is Which cool. is not actually probably a good sign though, because it oh, yeah, might've true. been that they were in trouble. I don't mm -hmm. know, but. Um, I saw one at, out at Smithville Lake and I was curious if any of them, I don't know, you know. Not that I've seen. Yeah. I did see, I, I see indigo buntings every year, which is always a really those exciting one. It's like, what is that blue? I oh. love those. Yeah. They're showy. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't love a showy bird? Right. Um, yeah, I got into bird watching too one time. We but just installed a I'm, bird interpretive sign um, down on Bluebird Trail. Okay. Yeah. I want to get better at, at identifying all the all the plants and and trees. Oh, I can help you. <laughs> like like I and and even the wildflowers. Like I know they have these apps where you can just put your phone on it and, mm -hmm. and I guess it. Yeah, but that doesn't it. teach you everything about the plant. If yeah. you can key it out, then you know the plant. It's kind mm. of drawing. You know, I don't truly know an object until I've tried to draw it. Mm. I don't truly know the plant until I can key it out, and that so the teaches apps you. are cheating. It's, it's still <laughs> beneficial and a great resource, but I, if, if you truly want to really know, wanna get know to it. know it, yeah, get to know the characteristics. What yeah. is the bark like? What are the twigs like? Um, even with certain sedges, you'll take a hand lens and you'll look at the roots and figure out the different types of roots. There's scales on roots that you may not have known before. Uh, same thing with learning about butterflies. They their, their wings are all made up of these weird scales. It's really hard to preserve them. What are the... What are the butterflies? One time I was walking there a few just a few weeks ago, and I I was coming you know at the bottom of the you know the Rist Lake Dam. Mm -hmm. I walked you know came out there kind of in the clear. You come out of the trees a little bit, mm -hmm. and then I'm heading toward the waterfall. Mm -hmm. and there's that wooden path there, mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of overgrown. And there were a bunch of black butterflies. It looked like they had black wings. Oh, and they're like green. They're all they were all over. Their bodies are green. I think they're but black. They're damselflies. If they, if I'm thinking of the same thing, they almost they were bigger. They were almost bigger like butterfly, like maybe small butterflies. Oh, and do they have blue at the tip of their wings? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a um, a black admiral. Okay. Yeah, they're really beautiful. I kind of get them like confused with swallowtails. Right in that little area there. Mm -hmm. so what is that about? Uh, do they congregate there butterflies like gross things they like beautiful things and they like nectar but they also uh there's uh, those bright yellow butterflies they're sulfurs they you will find them on um feces often mm. and i have How always yeah i know i've joked like if butterflies proboscis i am so horrible at pronouncing that their little mouth part if it was pokey enough we would hate butterflies because they mm. would want to eat all of our blood and sweat uh, butterflies like gross things. They're technically they could be considered decomposers as well, but mm. you know, luckily they cannot pierce our skin. Isn't that crazy? They're so beautiful and they like to eat crap. Yeah, literally. <laughs> 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 well, we could talk forever about this, so I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna get a group out there to do a walk through things. So if anybody's listening to this, this will come out pretty quickly in a week or two. And uh, if anybody's listening and you want to go on a nature walk with us, mm -hmm. I'm going to put a group together here for this fall. 
get a sign up if you will and that way i can know how many folks will be there okay how many can we take max i don't know how many do you want to bring out i'm guessing we'll do 20. Oh yeah, is easy. That too many? I was gonna say if you have a hundred, we'd probably want to split up into groups. Yeah, no, I was thinking twenty. Twenty is good. That way, everyone can learn a little bit. And uh, something that I always like to do is like have every person kind of categorize their interests, which I know it, it kind of just diminishes people down into the things that they are interested about. But hey, who cares if you're interested in it? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Diminish me that way, I say. Um, be it plants, be it healthy soil, be it I hate nature, I'm just here. That's fine. I will make people excited about something. Mm-hmm. It okay. is my uh, one of my traits that I am proud of is that I can, if I can get little kids interested into nature. Get adults. Yes, I can. Well, you have great enthusiasm. I love that. <laughs> and uh, I love your love for nature. So thank awesome. you. Thanks for letting uh, me talk. Yeah, thanks for all you do. And uh, thanks everybody for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures. Kristen Bontrager. Yeah. And Parkville Nature Sanctuary. This is an opportunity to get into nature and to commune with our roots. Yeah. Who we're connected with. Exactly. By fungi. Excellent. <laughs> yes. All right. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Thank See you, you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then, Go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.